Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Reconstructed Faith. I'm Colson Lechner, and this week we had the privilege to sit down and talk with Dr. Jim Dennison. Now, Dr. Dennison has an extensive background that I won't completely unpack now, but it's worth checking out at denisonforum.org. But regardless, Dr. Dennison, PhD, is a cultural theologian and the founder and CEO of Dennison Ministries, which is transforming 6.8 million lives through meaningful digital content. He has published several books. His most recent is entitled, The Coming Tsunami, Why Christians Are Labeled Intolerant, Irrelevant, Oppressive, and Dangerous, and How We Can Turn the Tide. We were most excited to hear from Dr. Dennison, to hear his comments on today's culture, deconstruction, and rebuilding your faith on a solid foundation. And I was really challenged and encouraged by what Dr. Dennison had to share. Now, this episode is broken up into two parts. The first is our interview with Dr. Dennison, and the second part is me, Bryn, and Chris Legg taking a few minutes to debrief that conversation. So, without any further ado, let's hear from Dr. Jim Dennison. Hey, um, so we want to introduce you guys to uh, Dr. Jim Dennison. Jim is a great friend, uh, not only of mine, but of uh, other members of my family, like my son, uh, who he also employs. And uh, he is, what, what is your, your owner, founder, creator, designer, chairman, Dennison Forum, all of those? Like, what, what does the, the grand poobah? take her out. I mean, you know, there's <laughs> lots of, so yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, we'd love to figure that out. So. I understand that. At the present that. moment, I would be CEO of Dennison Ministries, but uh, there you yeah, go. a very good friend of mine, and I founded the ministry back in 2009. And so from then till now, we, I, just whatever they want to call us, I guess. <laughs> very good. Um, I understand that. So we, um, uh, we wanted to get a few minutes with you for a few reasons. One, so let me give you the background of who we are and what we're doing. Um, so in this one, we started doing this, the Reconstructed Faith podcast now year-ish ago. Mm-hmm. And um, and the thought was we're running into more and more people who are do- moving into this, de- they, what they were calling deconstructing their faith. Right. And, and this team started engaging with that question and realizing there's a sense in which all of us are kind of always deconstructing our faith. That's another word for learning, I think. Um, yeah. And so the problem is it's like our culture and even sometimes in the church has, has accepted this where you've deconstructed, but you're not, no one's telling them you're not done yet. De- mm-hmm. So we use the imagery regularly on the podcast of, you know, one of those great building shows of them standing up at the end of the show and going, move that bus. And they move the bus <laughs> and what's left is just a big pile of rubble. Like, no, we're done. Mm-hmm. We, we deconstructed. We, yeah. we went through the demo phase and, and so encouraging people you need to okay. You need to be also in the process of reconstructing your faith, even mm-hmm. as it's deconstructed, because that's that's mm-hmm. also learning. And so, sure. obviously, I'm aware of what you've done, the the books you've done, the podcasts that you're a part of, and the worldview uh, expertise that you have. And uh, and so, the thought would be, we part of what we're seeing is it's no longer um, the natural downhill, so to speak, position to be a Bible believing Christian, even mm-hmm. sometimes here, even in Texas or East Texas, and mm-hmm. that it's now the uphill position that the pressure is now working against. It used to be everybody wanted a little fish on their business card and, and, uh, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Cause it had certain equity. 
Well, you are very aware of the pressures that people are facing uh, culturally, even philosophically, whatever, um, that are, are I guess, encouraging, supporting, maybe is the right word, the decision to deconstruct. Mm -hmm. Um, That when Christians deconstruct, they're rewarded for that. They're encouraged Mm -hmm. by that, I think. So that's part of why we wanted to get your thoughts on what are you seeing the pressures that people are facing um, that maybe are supporting that or encouraging that or, or just allowing them to deconstruct and be okay with that. So that'd be a place to start, maybe. What 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 are you seeing? Yeah. Now, thank you, Chris, for this. And thanks for the privilege of being in this conversation with you and with your team. Love your church so much. So yeah. grateful for your ministry, grateful for what you mean to my family personally. Uh, I don't know what y'all were thinking a year ago when you let my oldest son be chairman of deacons, but you survived that year. <laughs> exactly. He did great. You got through it okay. We and did. So, you know, and, yeah, obviously a strong church. I mean, clearly a very strong congregation. But, uh, <laughs> the fact that, um, you know, that Candace married Ryan is really the good news here. So just Yes, on absolutely. That, yep. I'm, I'm right there with you, you on know, that, right? This week. We don't know why. Well, actually, we do know why she did. He he proposed to her beside the Sea of Galilee. We oh. were in Israel together. And they were dating at the time, and they went over with us, and we arranged a place for him to propose to her there. And the reason she said yes is because she was afraid if she said no, we'd leave her behind. <laughs> That's exactly right. Sorry. We only That's got you one-way favorite. ticket so far, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, she, she won't tell me that. She won't say that. But the only explanation makes any sense to me. So that's, you know, that's there you go. kind the of mom- my theory. But Momentary but lapse in judgment. That's all right. I think so. Yeah. And aren't we all grateful? Man, are we grateful. So but yep. be that as it may. Yeah. So really kind of a couple of ways, as you know, to kind of go about this. Uh, the first is to look at some of the social issues that are causing us, I think, to have this conversation. Okay. People are thinking of deconstructing in the context of evangelicals and the context of church in a larger sense, and then the sense of faith itself. Mm. And you kind of see all three of those happening right now. You see evangelicals who aren't sure they want to be evangelical anymore. You have church-engaged people who are still Christian, they would say, but not so much wanting to be part of the church. And then people that are even doubting or leaving the faith itself. And so really different levels of this. A lot of reasons for that that are happening in the culture. Clergy abuse scandal, yeah, massive issue here, yep. undermining confidence in evangelical or church or even the faith itself denominational politics that have been going on for a long time in Baptist life since the 70s and in others as well. And people thinking, man, I just don't want to be a part of that. I'm trying to keep my marriage together and raise my kids. And I don't want to go to church and be a part of all of this. Uh, You're seeing obviously partisan politics be a big piece of this. And that's not just evangelicals on the right. That's also some main lines on the left. You're seeing on both sides of that, a lot of identification with specific candidates and political parties mm. and divisiveness inside all that. You're seeing issues relative to social issues and the degree to which those are being kind of uh, conflated with the church and the faith. Uh, clergy that are mm. praying blessings for abortion clinics on the one side right. and uh, endorsing same-sex marriage and things like that. And then those on the other side that are seeing as being really embracing of uh, very hard right positions and Uh, cultural issues, that sort of thing. So you're seeing a lot of things that are happening in the culture. But I would say very briefly, and we can come back and unpack this as you wish, there's really a larger movement behind this that uh, bears, I think, unpacking for just a bit, kind of a reason why we're at a place where people feel like they have the permission to do all the things we're talking about right now. So the whole idea of called deconstruction goes back to a philosopher named Jacques Derrida, who in the late (laughs) 60s, early 70s, a French philosopher, made the name deconstruction uh, kind of popular. It was the first guy to kind of use that word 
in a way that got in the currency, got in the culture, and became very, very normative and formative. My background's in philosophy, my PhD's in philosophy, so it's a special interest to me, but it's really broader, I think, even than that. Derrida comes forward, and he says, look, there are two things going on now that we just need to be aware of, that we need to really embrace. Number one, we've learned, and I can come back and unpack this as you wish, We've learned from Immanuel Kant and the Enlightenment that truth is personal, individual, and subjective. Right. Can't know the thing in itself, only your experience of it. There's no such thing as objective truth. It's just your truth, and there's my truth. Right. We get all the, we get that from Immanuel Kant, get that from the Enlightenment and a mm-hmm. lot of stuff going on. Second, Nietzsche teaches us that the will to power is the basic drive in human nature. That right. there's no such thing as truth, it's just yours and mine. So my truth expression is an expression of power. The whole reason I'm in this conversation with you is to show off what I know or to in some other way manifest a will to power. So Derrida says what you really want to do is come along and deconstruct faith claims, truth claims, artistic renderings, whatever, to understand the power motive that's behind what's being done here. Because there can't be objective truth. They're just the artist's truth or the writer's truth or the speaker's truth or the preacher's truth. And there's a power motive going on. So we want to deconstruct that power motive to see what's going on here and then find in that truth expression whatever works for us. That's what Derrida says. That's what deconstruction as a philosophy movement started claiming back in the 60s and 70s. Well, people that have never heard of Jacques Derrida, that don't know anything about Immanuel Kant or right. Nietzsche, now live in that world now, a generation later, that the academy has brought forward. What I've just said is conventional wisdom in the academy, absolute conventional wisdom. We have generations now of people that have grown up believing truth is personal and individual and a will to Paris, what drives human nature. And so now I feel like I have the freedom to come along and deconstruct evangelicalism or deconstruct the church or deconstruct the faith. I've decoupled my faith from objective biblical truth. Right. I've decoupled my faith from objective biblical morality, objective biblical truth claims. And so now I have the freedom to deconstruct, whether it's evangelical or church or even the Christian faith itself, in response to clergy abuse scandals or to partisan politics or to whatever issues might be out there. So that's what's given warrant to this whole idea we're calling deconstructionism, is this idea that truth is personal and um, the will to power is what drives everybody. So we want to deconstruct that and get to my own truth that works for me. Right. That's a whole philosophy seminar in five minutes, but that's kind of the background that gets us to where we are today, I think. That's really interesting. And, and, uh, Man, of course, I'm not at all surprised that you know the roots and the and the history, the background of that. Colson, you should have looked that up before now. I should have. <laughs> um, the um, the uh, um, I, what struck me as you described that is I think is how powerful it makes me feel to deconstruct. That mm-hmm. it puts me in the position. I'm now the evaluator. I'm the authority. I'm the one in the position of power and authority, and and you've got to kind of jump through my hoops in order for me to, to agree with what you're saying. And so, it, yeah, that's interesting because we, we see a lot of that of even some of the others we've talked to that, well, if you don't want to believe it, you don't have to believe it. And so, and it's that, it's that simple. I don't want to believe that anymore. So I'm not going to believe that anymore. It's my call. That's a, that's a fascinating stance for some, obviously, and maybe even irrational stance sometimes for someone to take, but, uh, it, it doesn't work in regards to certain things like, um, you know, gravity or other natural laws, but, uh, mm. uh, or the, 
We've talked about, you know, law, the rules of inflation and stuff like that. Did you, were you going to? Oh, I was just going to say that plus the, um, the freedom that that gives. Right. Coupled with all of the things that you mentioned, Dr. Dennison, about abuse and politics. And it seems <clears throat> freeing to get, to be able to have a, a reason to get away from those. Yeah, that's that really does. And there's really a piece of that I didn't mention before, which is the consumerism of our culture. Yeah. You know, capitalism thrives on consumerism, right? I mean, it doesn't work if you're not buying stuff. Uh, advertisers are brilliant at convincing you you need what they're trying to sell so you're empowered to be the consumer every place you go right Mm. it's all about you it's all about what you want that sort of thing well for a long time now we in the church have kind of aligned with that in some ways you know those seeker sensitive sort of movements that desire and and for a lot of good reasons i mean absolutely you want to build bridges to people you want to start with felt need and move to spiritual need jesus started with water and led the living water in john chapter four and there's a reason that Paul started with Hebrew scriptures and Hebrew synagogues and quoted Greek philosophers in Acts 17. So you certainly want to be accessible. You certainly want to build relational, rational bridges. But we can, if we're not careful, communicate the idea that come to church to be a consumer. Right. Come to church for what you get out of it. Come right. to church to be fed. Come to church. In fact, my wife likes to tell this story that back when our kids were young and people would pick their kids up from the nursery, they would ask their kids in elementary school or whatever, what did you learn today? Now they'll ask, did you have a good time? No, that's really interesting. Yeah. Was it fun? Was it good? Yeah. That's part of all of it, you know? <laughs> and then along with that, there's the postmodern relativism that says, look, truth's your truth anyway. You right, know? exactly. I had a conversation the other day with a guy that said, look, I don't believe in hell. Like that settled the question. Right, exactly right. I said it. I believe it. I don't it. believe that in Australia, it. so there's no Australia. <laughs> right, exactly. Know? Yeah. I don't believe in the Queen of England, so poof, there's no Queen of England. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. But in his mind, that settled the issue. Yeah. And so back to your point, you know, when I'm so empowered that I get to decide what reality looks like, and my opinion becomes my reality, perception is reality, and I'm a consumer anyway. Right. Well, then to your point, it really does empower me. Yeah, you need to to accept my version, or I'm not buying your, whatever you're selling. Yeah, that's Well, that works every place else in life, right? Right, exactly. Design the car I want, design the furniture I want. It's all about me. Deliver it on my schedule and on my terms. I mean, that's every place else in life we're conditioned to think that way. Even in academics, I mean, yeah. more and more. I mean, I've spent a lot of my life in the academy. I can tell you that it's especially in a lot of places today. It's really pretty terrifying to be a professor. Yeah, because the student evaluations really determine your career and uh, the degree to which you can get canceled so easily by the right. social media right. platforms of students. And so. And I, I'm also a medical ethicist. I, I'm a consultant to Baylor Scott and White's uh, uh, medical system as what they call resident scholar for ethics. And I can tell you that in that space, yeah. we now live in a world where our patients come to us having researched their condition on WebMD right. or on some other, you know, uh, which is fine. I mean, we want yeah. them to learn what they can learn. But they then come and evaluate professional medical opinion right. by what they think they know based on 10 minutes of internet research or a friend that gave them an opinion or whatever. And so really it's all turned around now. The church is no longer the authority, the medical professionals, the teachers. I'm the authority. I'm the one in charge. And that goes back to Genesis 3. You will be as God, knowing good Mm. and evil. Nietzsche didn't invent the will to power. It's a basic drive in fallen human nature. Yeah, that's really, that's really right. That's, that's um, when we talk about in psychological terms, we um we the the rejection of labels is another expression of of power mm. like mm. you you don't sure. get to label me and there was a, right. some new material apparently that came out in the last few days which you've probably seen that um that it turns out that a lot of the nuns 
you know, the N O N E S in the mm-hmm. in the reviews, I mean in the in the surveys, they're actually relatively they're actually pretty religious. And so the, the mm-hmm. problem is the question was who do you affiliate with? And the number of people who are willing to affiliate with an organized group go, has gone way, way down. But mm-hmm. then when you ask them what they believe, a lot of them still agree with statements like, you know, God is like the Bible describes. Mm-hmm. And and yet, but they're not affiliated with any religion. They're just, you know, and so it's there's something very powerful. And we we run into it. I mean, I don't know how often I hear people describe our church as not very Baptist. Oh, it's not like Baptist churches that you, it's different uh-huh. from, and, it, and that's something that they quote, take pride in is, it's a Baptist mm-hmm. church, but it's not. It's not like the Baptist, and because again, the rejection of label feels <laughs> right. special and powerful. Yeah. I'm about to do a um, start my class uh, with the Forge, and one of the first things I do is I give them a, a cold reading because it's about identity. It's a class about identity, so I give them a cold <laughs> reading that this says, and I give them a, have them grade me on how accurate is it about you of grade one, grade two, how specific is it about just you, only you. And so scale one to five, and I get a lot of five fives. Like, yeah, this is this is accurate about me, and it's only me. And they, I gave them all the same cold reading. I mean, there's thirty something <laughs> students. I gave them all the same identical cold reading, and uh-huh. one of them on there is uh, in school. You moved easily in and out of various social groups, whereas everybody else mm-hmm. seemed to be stuck in their own cliques. And psychologically, we know everyone thinks of themselves that way. All of us think we were the one person who could move easily in and out of social groups, mm-hmm. and everyone else was stuck in their clique. Mm-hmm. That's, that makes us feel better about ourselves. I'm not stuck mm-hmm. in a clique, and I, I move easily. I move, e- and either we all do, which means cliques don't exist, I guess, or right. uh, or we right. all don't, and we're just fooling ourselves. <laughs> but again, that strikes me as significant in this conversation. I'm not one of those people. You can't label me. Mm-hmm. I'm not a part of a convention, a denomination, or uh, the a title group of people that I have a stigma or a there there is a name to that group, and I don't want to be associated with the name, right, whether right. or not that's accurate. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to own their stuff, either now or in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. They might be cool today, but who knows tomorrow? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a great. That's I don't want really their good. power. If I'm part of their label, then they have some power over me, and that's the last thing I want. Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah. That's they get to, and so it strikes me that there's a real. Something really or being something is really being lost, and that's the identity that the opportunity to speak identity into one another in mm-hmm. in a community setting, and mm-hmm. and that no one gets to say anything about me, but but me, and now mm-hmm. transitioning into no one gets to say anything about my reality, but me, right. um, which of course it's is a modern relativistic idea. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, it I think it means job security for the counseling office and and maybe for the <laughs> church, but I don't. I, it worries me yeah. honestly as to where we're going. What do you think, what well, are the should. best tools for Christians to be able to avoid falling into some of these traps or, mm-hmm. or, or what? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, that's a great question. Hot. I think you start kind of where, I'm sorry? Oh, sorry. I was going to say, and to deconstruct well, like what are some? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a lie in the road at the very beginning of the conversation. And it goes all the way back there to that whole idea that truth is personal, individual, and subjective. So there's this fellow named Immanuel Kant. He was an early Enlightenment right. philosopher who says that your mind interprets your senses, and the result is knowledge. Now that's that's a semester of philosophy in you know one right. sentence, but nonetheless. And so, because your mind is different than mine, your senses are different than mine. There can be no such thing as objective truth. They're just how your mind interprets your senses. The way he put it was to say you cannot know the thing in itself. You're right. I can't know the iPad I'm talking to you on. I can know what it looks like. I can hit it and tell you what it sounds like. I can lick it and tell you what it tastes like, but I can't know it. I can only know my experience of it. 
That's right. the why in the road. We start right there. If that's true, if you cannot know objective truth, then we really are where we are. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I'm my own universe, right? I am my own God, as it were. My truth is mine. Your truth is yours. Whether it's sexual identity, whether it's orientation, whether it's what I wanted to find marriage as, whatever it is, we're left with tolerance. Right. Just tolerate you. You tolerate me. We'll try to get along. We'll stay out of each other's way. We'll do the best we can which doesn't work in governance. That's why our partisan politics is so partisan right now, because right. now we're at a zero-sum game. There's no objective truth. There's no way to adjudicate differences. So now it's Democrats versus Republicans, and we're all in lockstep, and there's this incredible divisiveness about all of this. And I have to, for me to win, you have to lose. It breaks down right. politics. It breaks down so much of society. But it starts right there. So I just want to say Kant was wrong. Right. I just want to say that, Okay. If I can know what the iPad looks like and sounds like and tastes like and feels like, what don't I know about the iPad? <laughs> right, yeah. What's this thing in itself? I don't know. He gets that driven idealism that mm -hmm. comes from Platonism. We won't go into all that, except to say there is such a thing as objective truth and you can know it. Okay. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect about it. I'm not saying my mind isn't finite fallen, but I am saying the law of gravity is a law. Right. Mm -hmm. I am saying there's objective reality and we can know it. Okay. For Christians, we can know that through Scripture as mediated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can use the Word of God to guide us into all truth, as Jesus said in the Gospel of John. It's possible to know truth. It's possible to live by truth. We have an objective truth source in our lives. To me, we start right there. If that's true, well, then I'm going to come back and have all of this conversation all over again under the guidance of biblical authority. Right. So how would scripture guide me as regards a clergy abuse issue or as regards partisan politics or as regards clergy praying at abortion clinics or right. being identified with specific candidates or whatever the issue might be? We're going to do that through the lens of scripture. We're not going to do scripture through the lens of culture. We're going to do culture through the lens of scripture. Right. I would urge us to start right there because that's the why in the road. That's the big decision. And if we make that decision, everything else follows. That's really interesting because we started this podcast when we started it. The first thing we realized we needed to start with was the very concept of truth and epistemology, and mm -hmm. and that there are guidelines, there are rules for how we right. know. There's you know there's the scientific method. There's the laws of logic right. for reason. There's uh, right. hermeneutics for revelation. You know all, mm -hmm. and so that these are there and worked through those. And and I think our effort was to help people understand you, you're not going to be able to. Gosh, as we're talking about this, all that our culture has is deconstruct. There's nothing to reconstruct with. There's nothing to. There's no process for reconstruction. There's no. There's no plan. There's no guidelines. All we can do is deconstruct mm -hmm. under this worldview, mm -hmm. um, and that's all we can. That's they have tools for. They have. They have lots of tools for tearing things apart, and it doesn't seem like any tools for putting things together. Mm -hmm. That's it's like your model of the bus that pulls out and all that's left is the rubble. Yeah. If you don't believe in architecture. Right. Yeah. If you don't believe in structural engineering, if the basic laws that govern effective building of a house yeah. are personal, individual, and subjective, if you can build a second story without a first story, you know, <laughs> that's a well, good, then that's at a good the example. end of the day, <laughs> you know, really all you have is rubble because you can't build a house out of rubble without the laws of building houses. Mm -hmm. It's do you just think, really kind of that simple at the end of the day. Do you think there's going to come a point in the culture where people yes. are looking around and realizing, okay, I just tore my house down. 
I don't have a place to live and I have no tools or, or wherewithal to rebuild anything. Help. Can someone help me? I think, I think we're already seeing that. Okay. I really do. I think that's absolutely the case. Uh, let me give you a real frightening quote if I could. Yeah. There was an archbishop, Francis George, who died some years ago of cancer. While he was uh, terminally ill, he made the statement in 2010. He said, I expect to die in bed. I expect my successor to die in prison. I expect his successor to die a martyr in the public square. I expect his successor to help pick up the broken pieces of a ruined society as the church has done so often in the past. Wow. Now, I'd like him to be wrong about a lot of what I just said. <laughs> I'd really like him not to be right about that. But his point is that, and we've been here before, Right. When you get to a place where everything is so broken and what broke it can't fix it, people right. start looking for new options. They start yeah. looking for new ways, mm -hmm. you know, and I think we're already seeing that. There's an explosion, for instance, of interest in the Orthodox Church on college campuses. Yeah. College students wanting rootedness in history and tradition and liturgy and form, even if they're not yet past the place of saying, look, this is just my truth, or at least saying, hey, this worked for me, right. you know? We're built to, need, built to need each other. There's a communal mess to the human, uh, as you know better than I do, the just basic human psyche. Take the cold out and it goes out. Right. And so we're, there's a gravity toward community right now. Now, I might still be saying Kantian stuff like, look, community works better for me or that community works better for me. But there's a moving toward authenticity. There's a moving toward a kind of a community. You're seeing it in how a lot of young people are choosing to live. Right. How they're choosing to live in community, how they're wanting to go someplace and kind of settle down together and, and make a difference in the ecosystem of that culture together, how right. they're wanting to kind of move in a communal sense forward. We're starting to see lots of interest in some ways that are moving in this direction. There's a fascination right now, especially in younger people, with faith that makes a practical difference, Right. whether that's environmentalism, yes. whether that's engaged in inner city poverty. If you'll go out and you'll demonstrate the relevance of your faith, people are open to the rightness of your faith. Yep. And in many ways, just to cap all that up, we're really back where we started. Now, I would tell you the first century looked a lot like the 21st century. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could call it postmodern yes. relative if you want to, right? You've got Platonists and Aristotelians and Epicureans and Stoics and Cynics and Skeptics and Emperor worship and Zeus and all that stuff. And plan, you know, pilots saying what is truth. You didn't have a printed Bible people were carrying around or putting on their iPhones. Uh, and so you didn't have Christians empowered to make any political difference. So when unwanted babies were thrown out, they went out and right. rescued them. When slaves were being auctioned, they bought the slaves and set them free. When plagues would happen and everybody would flee Rome, the Christians would stay and minister to the plague victims. Right. They demonstrated the relevance of their faith and over time earned the right to speak to the rightness of their faith. And I think we're right back there again. And by Acts 17.6, they turned the world upside down. Yep. So if we could be like the first century, I pray we'll see the same results they saw in the first century. That's really, that's super encouraging. And um, it's one of the, Jen, that's, it's, it's uh, so cool to hear that alignment. That's one of the, we actually have talked almost about that exact, about how the similarities between mm -hmm. the first century and now, what that looks like. I have I have said many because I've often asked to teach on marriage stuff that that I think the main reason we've seen a lot of the deconstruction we've seen is not about sex, drugs, rock and roll, or college, or liberal professors, or but it's it's because these people were raised in a home where the parents' marriage stunk, and and there was no practical relevance, and to use your term, there was no practical relevance to Christianity in their parents' marriage, mm -hmm. and so it's easy 
if you if you're looking at like, well, I mean, what they had was no good. So anybody got anything else to offer me because what they had was worthless. And that's and, and then that's, if they pretended to be together on Sunday, right? But it was so different on Monday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then I give up Sunday as well. I yeah. give up Monday, but I also give up Sunday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the reason that I've heard people give for deconstruction on a lot of levels is. You know, the LGBTQ plus community does community better than the church or right. even things like that, right. where it's like the application of the things that the church is teaching seem to be more evident in other places, which is a really wow. sad condemnation. But I mean, it falls along the same lines of of yeah. the relevance of it. But 12 step programs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Frederick Beekner is just one of many people that have been <clears throat> saying he saw a lot more church in 12 step programs than he saw in church, you mm. know. Yeah. The authenticity of it, the community of it, the mutual acceptance, the unconditionality of it. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the way the church is supposed to look? I'm old enough to remember the old TV show, Cheers. Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, you know remember the song where everybody knows you. Yeah, that's right. Everybody. You know? And everybody's always glad you came. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I do know the song. I mean, isn't I that what yes, we're all looking for? <laughs> yeah, that is so true. So it's that much more important that our families, our churches our ministries keep the lights on so that when people begin to realize, hopefully Lord willing, as people begin to realize, okay, it's dark out here and I don't, I no longer have any tools for even starting a light. I no longer have any tools for finding any light, creating any light. And they start looking around. If all the churches have turned off their lights in order Mm -hmm. to make people comfortable, then we won't, Mm -hmm. we won't, they won't have anything to turn to. So it's, that's that's a good reminder and a good encourager probably for anybody who's listening to the to this from a reconstruction perspective that that mm-hmm. this this going through this process is worth it at the individual level and we will be impacting the culture I think as well over time. Mm-hmm. Good. Any any last well, well we want to respect your time. Any final thoughts no, or words or or um, as we're looking at this topic? I know you've got the uh, the tsunami. The I don't I want to say mm-hmm. the title correctly. The Coming tsunami, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought, and uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is excellent. I would encourage it for anybody to look it up. I assume it's on Amazon, um, and uh, and and other places. And then um, <clears throat> listening daily um, to the podcast. You've got at least two podcasts out there. One uh, where you like I, I listened recently to the episode where you guys talked about your favorite movies. Um, which I thought was, that was fun. And to get, I, I actually, so these guys will tell you, um, I, I actually do evaluate a lot based on how people can talk about media and movies and books and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so, uh, I don't think it's silly when people discuss that stuff. I think it's mm-hmm. very deep and can be very insightful. Um, especially if they're right. It's the greatest movie of all time. Well then, which way? You know, which one did you say? The Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Oh yeah, it's in my yeah. top ten, man. So you so As you, you have be. so you have the Denison <laughs> Forum podcast and then also the Daily Article podcast. Are yep. there any others or are those the ones? Okay, good. Those are the primary ones, John. That's actually out twice a day now. I'm okay. writing a website article every day as well what? as what we call the daily article. And then both of those get voiced into podcasts as well. So this has been really good, uh, Jim. Thank you for taking the time to help us out with this. Um, and we're trying to give people resources. Um, other voices to listen to. Um, just, just I, I was just talking to somebody, I think it was last week at student camp, and somebody was talking about this message that they've been getting at school that, you know, all the smart people have walked away from Christianity. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's where mm-hmm. all the brains are, all the PhDs, mm-hmm. all the... 
And I said, I don't, I don't know who told you that, but they're just, they're just wrong like that. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's yeah. no evidence for that. There's no way to back that. That's just no. not accurate. And so we love giving people um, thoughtful, principled, uh, godly mm-hmm. people who we can say, okay, here's an example of someone you can look to um, who's thought through this. They're not just blowing smoke. They've thought through this and they know what right. they're doing here. And, and right. so you're a great example of that. And I appreciate that very much well, in that you. ministry. Yeah. Well, that's very, very kind. Thank you for that, Pastor. I'm honored to be with you guys today. And again, so grateful for what you're doing, for the authenticity of your church, for the community uh, that you guys just model every day, for what you mean to my family personally. Yeah, so I'm honored to be part of this. I want to help any way I can. Thank you, sir. Thank well, you. same back to you. We appreciate you very much. for Dr. Jim Dennison for the time that he gave us and some of the insight and um, just conversation that we were able to have with him. Mm. Um, And so it would be awesome for us to just take a little bit of time and kind of discuss and unpack some of the stuff that he was talking about. Mm -hmm. And then if there are any questions or anything that kind of come up, we'll, we'll put his, um, his like podcast links and links to, um, uh, for sure, the book, The Coming yep. Tsunami, um, in our show notes, so that, you know, if you're interested in that. Um, but yeah, were, was there anything that kind of jumped out at y'all? What were some big things that were like, okay, this is... I mean, right off the bat, I think it was really clarifying and helpful to even hear his levels of deconstruction, the way he described yep. how people are deconstructing from evangelical Mm-hmm. and the church and faith on multiple levels and for various reasons. And that was really clarifying to me even to understand there are different types of deconstruction and even different levels of that. And I think it's helpful to know as we're engaging with friends and family that are deconstructing to know just that clear so that we can ask clarifying questions so that we can differentiate between yeah. those that, that they're not all the exact same that was even from the beginning was really helpful to me, but, um, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I found it pretty fascinating. I, I didn't realize the, like how far back the roots of deconstruction mm-hmm. as yeah. a philo- as a philosophy or a philosophical idea. Yeah. You know how they Wait, go back <clears throat> to the enlightenment. Like it makes sense with what he's saying, but then it's like, okay, so the ramifications of what, you know, the idea of, no objective truth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which I believe and, he unpacks a, a lot more extensively in his book. Yes, I mm-hmm. think so too. But it is, it's also kind of reassuring to, to know because I believe he said before, it seems like this has come on us really quickly. Mm-hmm. But if you go back and look at the roots, it was very, it's been very deep rooted, mm-hmm. has been coming a long time. And and makes a lot more sense when you start to unpack that and understand it. Right. Because for some of us, it seems fairly sudden. Yep. And it's it's confusing how some people can ascribe to some of these extremes so fully. But then when you understand the root, it, it makes a lot more sense, I think. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. And, and I agree going back and seeing how this initiates. It's like it's kind of like it reminds me of when we talk about um, the, you know, the the onset of modernism 
the internal, that's when I teach on it, I talk in terms of the internal, what's the, what has an internal source and what has an external source. And, and in pre-modernism, the metaphysic, everything had an external source, truth, value, purpose, every, even art, beauty, everything was outside of us. And then in, as modernism, as he talked about during those times, it became some things were internal. And where I think the mistake is, is exactly where our, our podcast tries to avoid is, well, they weren't, Kant isn't wrong. I am engaging in this, in this sense. I am engaging with the world through my senses. Where Kant is wrong is in saying we're totally an island walled off by our senses and I can know nothing outside of like what I can see, touch, lick, you know, whatever. Like that's the only, though I get that information, but that's being interpreted by my brain and therefore yeah. I can't actually know it. All I know is my interpretation. I don't know reality. What, but so, and maybe this is a, this is a dumb question. My, I'm like, why? So why do those ideas gain so much traction is it because it's empowering to your flesh like, i think over time you, yeah because i'm like that. sometimes because when i'm thinking about it i'm like from my worldview right it seems like yeah but that's that's so like self-centered and i mean how how can you then say that like there is no objective uh, there is no objective truth but you're saying that as a truth as a truth statement and so right. To me, it's like it breaks down fairly easily, but then, but it's been held onto and then is ingrained in our culture for so long. Right. And is the reason for that what, what Dr. Dennison was saying that it really is like that empowerment. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel power by being able to say those things. And so that's why it's appealing mm -hmm. to me. I mean, that's one thing I've, I've even told our students when teaching on identity mm -hmm. is the, one of the reasons I think it's so appealing is it does seem empowering, but it also, it holds a lot of promises. Like it seems right. really shiny and it seems um, it does offer it. It seems to offer a lot and a lot of promises that if you break it down, we know are shaky, a, a very yeah. broken foundation. But if you don't understand how shaky a foundation that is or lack of a foundation altogether, it does seem empowering and it does seem to promise a lot. That's really appealing. Right. Um, when, when you don't look at something at its source or whatever, it, at any time, so, you know, as a quite a libertarian politically, my for anytime someone says, hey, we're going we're going to now the government, any government agency of any kind says, hey, we're now going to pay for this. Like, I don't that means nothing to me. Like, yeah, but it's my money you're using to like I immediately go to. Yeah, that sounds great. But what you mean is you're going to take enough money to pay for people and then give me back my money mm -hmm. and probably less of it. Like, I don't I don't. And I have the, it's the same thing, but most I think most people just go like sweet free stuff, and they don't they don't stop and consider wait what's behind this actually? So is it like, what are the costs of pay this? No, pay no attention to the wizard behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah, know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah, exactly, so it's just kind of that idea. Yeah. of like, and so it's the same thing that you go that if you say, and so what's interesting is I I don't we might need to have Mark on an episode to explain yeah. Kant, uh, mm. uh, Kantian philosophy, That'd but. Be good. Uh, because it is such a root of deconstruction. But I think, I could be wrong about this, I think Kant did think there was such a thing as external objective truth. He just said humans can't know it. Oh. And so <clears throat> we can't know it, which again, as, you know, I feel like, you know, Dr. Dennison did a good job of undermining that. Like, what is it that I don't know about the iPad if I've seen it, touched it, heard it, licked it, you know, <laughs> like, right. it seems like I've, I've kind of checked most of the boxes at that point of, of what I do know about it. And also just keep in mind, you can, 
you don't have to know everything about something in order to know something about it. And so you don't, I don't have to know everything about an iPad. I've never taken one apart. That doesn't mean there is no iPad. And so the fact that I don't know everything about it doesn't mean there is nothing to know or I can't know anything. Right. And so, but... Yeah, or you can't say, this is an iPad to me. And yeah, I'm exactly. Like, no, it's not. Yeah, that's a cat to me. Um, it is, but the root of these this deconstruction, again, just like with when we talk about the internal and external um, sources, is that it hits, at some point, you have less and less and less external sources, more and more internal inside of us, and in the middle, you get to humanism. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, if you keep going, eventually, you have only internal sources. It isn't that Kant is right. We need good rules for knowing what it is that we can know. That's true, and we've talked about those. Where the wrong, where he's wrong is, we can't know it. Like that's, I think that's, I think that becomes a, a an abstraction that becomes almost silly. Yeah. Um, because again, why would Kant then write anything? Because I can't know whether Kant really exists or whether he wrote it or what the book right. says or what the, like it becomes self-refuting pretty quickly as a as a waste. But, but how fascinating that that fits in exactly with what this podcast is about is, yeah, we can deconstruct. And we're not telling people not to deconstruct. Mm -hmm. We're just saying you're not you're not done. We need to put something in the place of that. When you like when you read a passage about sexism and that that feels sexist in the Bible, yeah. What have you been taught about that? Is that right? Is it accurate? Dig in. Get get the right insight. Do the research. Don't just leave a gap. Don't just go well. Bible sexist. Toss it. Um, no, you wouldn't. You shouldn't do that with. You know, anything get dive in and dig in and see what you can build from what is there what's appropriate what's not versus just like you said pay no attention to the man behind the curtain i just don't want to think about it it's hard work well and i think as we've talked a lot about deconstructing and humanity i think it's really hard mm. that's really key because all of these institutions that have been at some point broken on some level or a proponent of a you know, abuse or a scandal or some failing of humans, which every institution is, I think often me being my only source of truth can be a safeguard. Like it seems like you're putting up a protection, oh, wow. a wall of saying I, because I think that's what we do as humans is when we've been hurt, we, we want to, to protect ourselves and put up any mechanism we, we can to keep that from happening again. And so being my own source of truth feels like I don't have to depend on anyone else. And I, and therefore I don't have to be open to being hurt again or subject right. to someone else. And so I think that's another reason why it's important to deconstruct in humans, even as believers, because a lot of the, even institutions that he mentioned of things that have encouraged this movement have been a failure of humans. Right. You know, that's right. And, and that's, that's how, again, where you remembered Sherrod regularly says like, yeah, this is, this is what we would have predicted. Right. That, yeah, you give humans power and some of them are going to abuse that and some of them are going to abuse other people. That's what the gospel would predict. And so, yeah, that's bad. We don't want that. We don't, we would prefer not to see that. Like Jim was saying about, I mean, it really ended up going all the way back to this garden conversation, but I want to be God. Mm -hmm. um, that was why I wanted, I hope the youth, when I talked about this with the students about, you know, what is, uh, I asked the questions, you weren't, you didn't get to hear this, but I asked the question, what does it mean to be free? And what does it mean to be a slave? And the fundamental answer the student said was being free means getting to do what you want 
And being a slave means having to do what someone else wants. Mm-hmm. And I said, so can't you then just define freedom as slavery to self? If it just means I have to do what I want versus I have to do what somebody else wants, slavery to self. And I mean, if you know yourself very well, you know you would not make a very good slave master. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be, none of you would, neither of you would want to be my slave. I mean, that would not, that would not be smart. I'm, I'm not that good a person. So why would I want to be my slave? That's not, that doesn't seem wise either. I need someone who, I need to be a slave to someone who loves me more than I do, who, who likes me and approves of me and wants me and, and is honest with me and understands the truth more than I do. Because mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm just not a trustworthy enough person to entrust my entire identity to. Um, I'm not a good slave master, not even to me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that strikes me as a painful realization. But I think it's encouraging even how, Dr. Dennison was talking about, we're seeing this change in culture already. Like we're seeing the realization that we do have rubble and no tools. And I think that's encouraging um, because when you think about it, like even when it comes to quote unquote, building your own identity or defining your own identity with the rise of being aware of mental health, I feel like people realize we're not, we're not dependable. Mm. Like every day, if I'm aware of what's going on in myself, I don't even feel the same way about myself every day. Right. And so with things like that, I think that's encouraging to me because I think the realization of that is where the rebuilding has to start. Yeah. 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 And I, one, one of the last things that he was saying, it's, it's something that I feel like weighs on a lot of people's mind, especially when they're thinking about evangelism and sharing the truth of the gospel is like, okay, well, if we're living in this post-truth culture, right? what is, I mean, it, am I wasting my time sharing the truth of the gospel or in like, and maybe that's the wrong verbiage, but it's like, am I just going to be met with a lot of like, well, that's your truth kind of a thing. And, um, and then, then, have to walk down that even more difficult road. And I like that he was saying, you know, when you, when you display the relevance of your faith, Mm -hmm. then you're able to share the rightness of your faith. Yes. Mm -hmm. And just being like the, I know we say it a lot in, in churchy language, but being the hands and feet of Jesus, right. Being, being there when things are difficult and showing that, hey, the, the Bible speaks to caring for the marginalized and caring for the fatherless and caring for people who are suffering. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and being being in those situations then can kind of lend itself to people listening to you as well. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. That was it. That was a good that was a helpful. I hope it's helpful to our Listeners out there yeah. to get to hear from Dr. Dennison. And again, lovely opportunity to get to connect to someone who offers insight, mm-hmm. yeah. value. I mean, obviously, anyone who knows Jim, he's wicked smart. And and another good example of someone who, who isn't easy to just dismiss as, oh, one of those. Right. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to encourage people to to get engaged with, with the materials that he puts out on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess twice a day now, it sounds like, which wow. is impressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, could we, hey, Colson, could we start sure. cranking up to twice a day doing these? 
Just kidding. <laughs> he said sure before he even heard the question. And then <laughs> he went, knew what was coming. He oh, could wait. tell him with the look on my face. <laughs> wait. What Chris is about to say isn't serious. Can, He's calling can we, my bluff. He's like, yeah, Chris. Yeah, you just take a couple hours somebody, a day. Can we get somebody else to do my expense report for me? <laughs> <laughs> do today. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.